Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. Otewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out of Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, good to see you and hear you. How are things? Yeah, no, doing well, doing well. Delighted to be joined this week by friend of the show, Keen Tracy. Well. Keen, how are you getting on? Hey, lads, how are things? That's a well-trimmed head of hair there, Keen. Yeah, no beard and hair trim back finally. That's well, tiny. lads, I was afraid that we might be, like, who knows if there another lockdown will come. So I got my money's worth from the, from the barbers <laughs> this week. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it was good. Fair yeah. play, you're looking sharp. Um, might kick off Champions Cup final. Um, I know, Luke, you were rejoicing in the all-French affair in the build-up saying great for the game. It's something we can all get behind on. I, I was talking to a few people about that. I was like, what was he talking? Like, no one, no one else says that on all-French finals. A strong France is good for the game. Don't... Uh, we, we Like, if, if we lose them in the European competition, then uh, I think the competition... Is, I Sorry, I, why am I defending myself again? It's, it's, it's basic. Like, if they have all, they've, they've all the money, they have loads of the stars of the game playing over there. If they lose interest in winning Heineken Cups, the competition is badly impacted. And it's absolutely key for the Irish teams. Like, could you... I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd watch as... Well, can I say this as... <laughs> But I, my interest in rugby would be badly dimmed um, outside of Six Nations if there wasn't really competitive Heineken Cup um, for, I agree. for the Irish teams. I feel like my interest in rugby would also be badly dimmed if we had more all-French finals, but like, we'll <laughs> leave that for another day. There's uh, a few good tries in there. <laughs> yeah, Keen, like, so what, what's your perspective on 22-17 to lose over La Rochelle, to lose, get that fifth star? Um, did the right team win for you? Yeah. Uh... Probably just about. I mean, obviously the red card had a huge um, influence. It was a strange game. Um, it just, it, I didn't really enjoy watching it at all. But then like the end was like pretty exciting and you were kind of left wondering if La Rochelle could actually pull it back. So at the full-time whistle, you were going, was this actually as bad as I thought it was? And then I was like, no, nah, it was pretty bad. Um, Luke Pierce, uh, I was kind of laughing at the time, the referee, I think he was, they called the two captains over just at the end of the first half and, had said, um, can all 30 players, it was actually 28 at the time because uh, there was a man in the bin and obviously Bottier was sent off, but said, can we just make this a better spectacle? And I was just thinking to myself, yeah, like he's speaking for pretty much everyone who's watching this. It was just turgid. There was so many mistakes. I know the weather wasn't great, but I was actually thinking of you, Will, when I was watching this, I was going, Will is not going to be happy here. Now, the, the old French team is letting him down again. But yeah, like I was disappointed. I mean, 
the red card, like absolutely like no complaints whatsoever. Um, and I, for the record, I absolutely don't agree with the, the trial that's going on in the Rainbow Cup at the moment. So I just think it would have been bonkers if La Rochelle were allowed to have brought back on a player um, after 20 minutes. I know not everyone agrees, but like there just has to be punishment for, for a shot like that. It was a pity because I think La Rochelle would have had um, the matching of Toulouse, but yeah, they just, I don't know, like it was interesting. Ron Garo was doing um, his press conference last week and I was writing about this on Monday and he he was saying that one of the biggest lessons that he had learned kind of, you know, from his limited coaching experience uh, so far had been like the importance of not playing a player who's not fully fit in a big game. And like at the time, probably didn't take too much notice of it. But then when you see Bottia starting and then afterwards O'Gara said that uh, he hadn't trained at all. And I was kind of wondering, you can just, who, who was he referring to or what, what prompted him to say it in the first place? Because I was reading, I think it was even your piece that referred to it. or it was one, I, I couldn't get over the juxtaposition of him saying that pre-match yeah. and then literally going against his own advice. He said it's like the biggest advice he has and he didn't, he didn't hear yeah. to it. So, it, it, it. He wasn't. It was just like, what, were, what are the big lessons that you've learned about, you know, cup finals rugby? And obviously he spoke a bit about his experience as a player and, you know, everyone knows what happened in that, his first signing cup final in 2000 in Twickenham when he had by his own admission, a pretty tough day from the tee. But yeah, like he, he was the one who brought up that, like the importance of not playing. The had he named and, his own team before this? No, the team hadn't been named. And Bottier was obviously a serious doubt. Go on. What's your finger wag about? Well, does, do you think he was trying to throw people off the scent he wasn't going to start Bottier? I actually, th- I, I think Bottier was going to play either way because he's so important to what La Rochelle do. But I just thought it was so interesting that he came out so strong and then said that he hadn't trained. So like Will touched on, he went against his own advice despite feeling very strong. You know, I don't know. I was wondering, is John O'Gibbs the one picking the team? And was John O'Gibbs, you know, saying, but yeah, has to play. Fair, po- fair point. Like <laughs> He didn't say it was John O'Gibbs's big advice. He said it was no. his own. So perhaps he was overruled. Maybe he wouldn't know. And that's like, that's, the point of like that we probably forget that you know O'Gara isn't the, the boss man there I'm sure like he obviously has a massive hand in picking the team but it would be interesting to know whose call uh, that was because look Bottia was so far off the pace it wasn't just a red card I mean like I don't know but have either of you guys ever seen someone get a yellow and a red card offense in a matter of seconds like it was it was pretty if it wasn't so costly it would be pretty funny like but uh you think about like he gave away a couple of penalties I think he had a knock on. He overran a pass at one stage, went deep into 22. So he was miles off the pace. And I think that would be something that O'Gara will seriously regret, just the fact that he had flagged it. Yeah, it's interesting on Bottier because they were using him so much in the opening 28 minutes before the injury. Like there was two scrums five metres out. One of them you referred to there that he knocked on badly when that was a chance to get the opening try of the game at a huge moment just after the penalty hit the post and they got lucky with with you know that that sequence of events. So, yeah, it's just interesting that even though he wasn't fit, that he was obviously still a huge part of that game plan. Um, and look, I suppose before the game, when we previewed it, we said if La Rochelle play like they did against Lancer, that to that level, they have a really good chance of winning. They didn't really get close to that, I didn't think. What, what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it was funny. I mean, I, you lads both picked La Rochelle. And I just felt like that Toulouse might have the edge. Just And I was purely my heart over my head thinking that. Um 
because I suppose I felt like Leinster would beat Toulouse if they played them. And I thought that La Rochelle might struggle. I don't know why I thought that, but I look, I think the conditions did play a, play a bit of a part. It was, I mean, they'd built it up massively in La Rochelle and you could see that. I mean, you know, there was uncharacteristic errors with people not playing. Um, I mean, they only really started playing, I thought, once they kind of were, you know, their backs were against the wall a bit. And, you know, they made a great contest of what I thought, um, you know, given the difficulty that they had. So there's certainly a lot of heart there. Uh, I mean, the coaches have done a good job. But as you say, the body of selection now in in in, in the cold light of day, you know, you, I'm sure they're questioning it themselves, you know, just like we are, um, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you just, the, the temptation always is with your best player that you get him out in the pitch regardless. But if he's playing at half-mast, I mean, I think there's, there's, you know, as Rog said it himself, you know, it's it's not sensible to do it, um, you know, and it doesn't show trust in your squad. And it looks like they had a good squad. I mean, the I don't know, did Dumaru come on? I think um, and, uh, against oh, who was the, there was a good centre that came on. No, no, against um, Leinster. Oh, was it Pierre Aguilon? I think maybe. Oh, I don't know who it was, but he was very good when he came on. Um, sorry, he was obviously paired next to Dumaru. Apologies, um, but whoever it was came on as, uh, for, for body when he injured his ankle. Uh, I, I thought he was really, really good, and I didn't think that they that you know they looked any weaker off the back of him coming on. So I think they probably should have trusted him. It's easy for us to say now because, look, Body is so bloody good, and he has such a big impact on the game. And it, look, he's he's a lot about what's very good about um, Larissell. So look, looking back at the match, that's obviously going to be the thing we're talking about because of the red card, and that was always going to be tough for them to come back from that point. But in terms of the spectacle. I think you're always going to get that with the weather like that and it being a final. It's just a really bad combination for a good game of football. It would just be my opinion. Yeah. Um, you, you just the nerves. I mean, we saw I mean, La Rochelle had big kind of events planned in the city all week. They were gathering support. They were trying to make it, you know, fan friendly because obviously no one could go to the game really. Well, it was a few obviously at the game, which is good to see uh, on an aside. But um, generally, it wasn't you no know, no big traveling support, which is a big disappointment for for a place like La Rochelle, who's had a big move, you know, uh, have moved up through the rank so quickly and have a great team there. So uh, that might have played a factor in it as well. I'm talking about things that aren't part of the game, will, but all those things do impact in the final and and, and can cause people who maybe haven't been in the position before to make uncharacteristic errors and be a bit cagey. And that's probably what we saw. Yeah, Keen. Another thing that was kind of interesting foreshadowing from Ron O'Gara during the week was talking about his experience at Twickenham in the 2000, the mixed, the missed kicks, the missed, the missed opportunity. Like EIO West, who was lights out against Leinster. I think he kicked every kick that day. He missed three costly goal kicks. Now, like to be fair, if you're looking at over the course of a season, I think he's around a 70% goal kicker. So it was more so the anomaly against Leinster rather than the anomaly at Twickenham. But even having said that, like you think back to the one just after half time, even when you know you have 14 men and you get a very kickable one that's you know you know almost kind of dead center and, and he puts that slightly wide. You know, it, it, you don't, you're not blaming him for the defeat. Obviously, a guy got sent off as well, but that one in particular, just the start of the second half, and it is interesting the parallels with O'Gara as well. Like a game was in the melting pot, and unfortunately, the out half carries the can sometimes. Yeah, I'd say Leinster were watching it going, geez, I wish I wish he had, had put in a, a performance like this against us. But well, sorry, you just want to come in on that very briefly, like it's funny in that Leinster game like he took on some difficult kicks as well mm. and I remember being like did I misread that in the build-up that his kicking percentage is quite low because he's acting as if he's Johnny Wilkinson like he's taking them on from like really difficult distances as well there was a few long ones there, yeah and he, even he he never looked comfortable over the ball for some reason in Twickenham like that one that you mentioned after half time like he just never got the sense that that he was comfortable maybe it was like the earlier misses like were in his head but you know like 
if, if you look at down through the years, um, all of the teams pretty much who've won the Heineken Cup always have like a world class 10, like an absolute world class 10. Like, there's a reason, I guess, Ohio West is, is playing in France. I mean, obviously, the money is, is good, but like he wasn't deemed good enough to play with the, the All Blacks. Now, I know like the competition there is ridiculous. And even look at now, like someone like Richie Mwanga breaking onto the scene. But yeah, like you wouldn't, you absolutely wouldn't blame him. And he'll be relieved that he has someone like O'Gara in his corner because it's like O'Gara has been there. He's done that. And it was interesting, like he was supposed to, apparently he was supposed to be leaving this summer, but he's after signing a new one-year deal but you know as I was watching um as I was watching him struggle and particularly with the kicks I I couldn't stop thinking about how O'Gara tried to sign Jack Crowley and I was just thinking wow like I mean there's a guy who for the last he's he's back with Munster now this week which in my opinion is great to see because he's been with the Irish Sevens for the last few weeks which I don't know I'm sure like he had a good time and stuff but like for me it was disappointing that like he wasn't kind of being pushed in to play the the Rainbow Cup games but um, as I was watching her, I was thinking, God, like, what an opportunity. And I'm not saying for a second, by the way, he would have been starting in the Heineken Cup final, but clearly O'Gara wants another 10 in there. And I just thought, like, what an opportunity it would have been for this guy to, to go and get, like, you know, experience in an environment like this under O'Gara. And you never know, like, he could push Ohio West. But anyway, that's just a really kind of random thing. But that's that's what came into my head as I was watching him struggle. But it's, a fair, like, it's a fair thought to have popping in your head. Because I would love to hear Jack Crowley give his reasoning. Like, I think Ronan O'Gara in a column in The Examiner said that, from his perspective, that Crowley had said to him that he wanted to fight, you know, stay and fight for a place. But when, when you outline the permutations, for instance, like, La Rochelle had two top 14 games in very quick succession before the Leinster game, or the the Toulouse game where they rested like everyone, like Crowley would have been starting potentially, you know, two top 14 games against, you know, decent opposition. You know, you can't, that, that's an unbelievable experience you could have gotten. Yeah. And it's, it's probably, it's, it's one of those times where not to open the whole, like selecting, you know, players who are playing abroad, but like when it's a situation like this, where the guy is behind like, you know, several out halves in Munster, including one, someone like Joey Carberry who needs more game time he can get, you're kind of wondering, is a young player like that almost afraid to to go and experience something like that in France? Because could it be looked upon as, you know, well, you're damaging whatever. I'm not saying he's on the Irish radar at all at the moment, but would that be looked at unfavorably kind of going forward? Whereas my opinion... Mark that, against you or something? Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm just just speculating. But like, yeah. in, my, in my view, that would be an unbelievable experience to go there for, for two years. I suppose the risk is that he doesn't come back, but... Yeah, that, that, that's just kind of what I was just thinking about him as I was as I was watching um, Ohio West and thinking, like, God, it's a bit mad that Shaq Crowley is playing in a sevens tournament in, in London this weekend. You know, it's just kind of a weird juxtaposition. Yeah, Luke, were you going to come in there? I was. I, I've, well, whether, I don't know. I sent him a text, actually, when I heard he was looking at Crowley, and I said um, he should be looking at someone else. <laughs> um, not not better than Crowley. Just once he said no, um, I completely agree with Keane. Kieran Frawley. Correct. Yeah, um, I think you mentioned it before. <laughs> did I? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have said it. I don't think I said it here, but I, I sent him a number of texts saying, like, I, I, I think I overdid it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of unread texts. I was like, like man, like, you're making a huge error not looking at this guy for, for, for that. He's a solid kicker. He's excellent in open field. He's a good defender, too. And he's a good runner himself. And if you're stuck, he can play a few positions. He's completely getting, you know, no game time in Leinster in the position, and they've got two guys there already. So he's just sitting in a pile. And I personally don't think he's ever going to be a top class 
um, centre. Like, an, and I'm sorry, when I say top class, I mean he's not going to be an international centre, and I think he could be an international class ten. So that was just my view on that. Um, but I agree with everything Keen said. I mean, I think you know people are probably afraid sometimes to to leave the nest, and there's a combination of like a, a combination of factors that probably you know. I think they're probably thinking about like, do you leave a good, really good place to develop and train and get your body ready as a young player to play, you know, you know, at the, at the top level in, you know, what you know is great setups for you physically, you know, the Irish squad, you know, teams do a great job of getting you prepared in that sense. But the flip side of the coin is if you're not playing any rugby um, and you're not in the shop window enough and you're not testing yourself at that level, um, that's a dangerous place to be too, because there's people coming up behind you all the time. And if you're not getting any game, you're not proving yourself. Uh, you're also missing out on a window to go abroad and get, you know, get a proper contract somewhere else and play some top class rugby. You know, there's loads of examples of people who've gone away and come back with their, you know, with their reputation far higher than before it left. But on the, basically just because they played rugby. Um, so I wonder, are people looking at that? And I don't think if there's a tick against someone's name, you know, I don't think that's a that's a right thing either, particularly if they're sitting in a queue behind players. Yeah. Can you imagine, can you imagine sorry, Will, just like what Jack Crowley must have felt like when he sees Ron O'Gara's number pop up on his phone? I mean, like the, the guy's only 20. I think he's only 20. Yeah, it would be. Um, like obviously would have looked up to O'Gara and you see what he's doing. Like it, it's such a massive opportunity. And like, sorry, it's, it's a weird tangent, but it. This, the seventh thing just didn't really make sense to me because he's back with Munster now this week. Yes, the seven, the Ireland seven team are training for their final chance to qualify for the Olympics. So you would have thought like he would still be involved because another young player, Munster player called Connor Phillips, who's a really talented winger as well, is still involved. And Alex Kendellan, who is a super talent too, is gone to the Ireland twenty. So. I don't know, just from the outside, it, it hasn't really made well, much sense. I suspect the timing of it is because they're playing the Cardiff Blues this Friday. Potentially, he'll get game time there and they're playing Connacht the last day out. You know, a tougher fixture and more of an Interpol. Perhaps they didn't, you know, they didn't want to use him in that game and now they do. It would be but he, He's been out of want to be on the sevens team or do you want to be in the 15s team? But Let's be real. The thing, the thing about that, though, Will, is like he's been out of the system, though, in terms of like training with Munster and, and getting a chance to impress the coaches, getting used to the calls, getting used to the system. And, and he's also gone and playing a different sport, essentially. You know what I mean? So, look, I'm sure it'll be good for his development. And I'm a big fan of Sevens. Like, you, you see the amount of guys who it's helped. But I just am disappointed that maybe this window hasn't been used to, to give him more game time. And it's also tricky because, like, you know, JJ Hannon has been in the mix, but like he's leaving at the end of the season. So it's it's a tricky balance, it's balance to get. But I feel like it this was a missed opportunity to, to have a look at Crowley. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. And Luke, what of Toulouse now, European champions for the fifth time, first time since 2010. The pedigree in that team, the players in that team is phenomenal. Like DuPont getting player of the year, I think we're probably all in agreement. That, that, that's a fairly well-deserved honour. But just when I think about them over the course of the campaign, it leaves me a little underwhelmed. Like, I didn't think the final was great. I thought they were pretty poor against Bordeaux in an average semi-final. Likewise against Claremont. I didn't think that game was great. Like they they were they were too good for their opponents. The second half in Town Park, obviously they cut loose, they scored four tries. But besides that, they never really hit the heights we know they can hit. So I'm sitting here thinking on paper, you're like, yeah, they've been a great team the last couple of years. So a fifth star, fair enough. But then I'm like, they never, they didn't really, I don't think, hit the high state that we know they can hit. Or is that my being unfair? Like they won the tournament, so it doesn't really matter. But I'm just thinking, if you look through their games, it doesn't really fill me with, oh, that's a European title run, if you get me. 
I think it's hard with the no crowds to really get a sense of, you know, like when you go abroad or when you've got to do something I mean, there's, and, and there's a bit more pressure, I think, with the crowds there. It, like, it always feels like there's one campaign or there's one of those matches in the campaign where you really have to dig it out in front of a kind of, I don't know, like Tone Park away. Like that's a pretty tough place to go when it's a full house and, and to get a win. And Munster can play certainly above themselves and have on many occasions, even when they had great teams. Um in front of that crowd. So yeah, there's probably maybe a bit of a sense of that. And maybe that's what's feeding into it a little bit. And I think on a lot of occasions, they probably it felt like a year where they did enough to win all the time. If you if you're going to be like yeah. without being like outstanding and really cutting loose for the whole competition where they were completely unstoppable, a la probably Saracens, you know, at, at, in their pomp or Toulon in their pomp, where you're going to say, Jesus, they just you know swept everyone aside. And when it came down to it, they were just way too good and played great, played a great brand. It didn't have that feel to it, but certainly they are and have been a coming force, as you mentioned. And sometimes those teams just do enough and it's hard yeah. to do enough all the time. So you're right. You probably should give them credit for that. I was going to say, maybe if that try had been scored, Colby, after the chip in the corner, that oh, might have been magic, the perfect signature of, of that might have been their European final moment. What a tackle, though, you know, in fairness. And it, it didn't make the final lot of, you know, very, very, you know, it was more enjoyable to watch. I mean, that, that, was, a, that was a dicey enough finish for them. Um, and uh, you know, look, I probably don't agree with Raj. I didn't look; it didn't look to me like it was probably a penalty or a, such a clear cut penalty at the end. But um, you know, I think on balance, throughout the competition, they they have been very good when they needed to be good, and they they did enough to win. Which, if you're doing, you know, doing that enough times or doing that throughout a whole competition is pretty hard to do as well. So we we do have to give them credit, and I think they have you know enormous talent throughout the squad. That's for certain, and they're. They're a, a difficult team for everyone to face. I think they were probably lucky in a sense that Leinster played poorly in that uh, semi-final and La Rochelle had such a good game. I mean, La, there was no competition, no, sorry, no contest in terms of who was, uh, you know, the better team on the day. But I do think on balance, Leinster would generally have won that one. I think out of 10 matches, Leinster would win seven or eight of them, if I'm being honest. And I think they would have beaten Toulouse. I think another French team was a bit of a blessing for them. I think they've got a bit of that. So now you're basically riding Leinster into a fifth star, even though they were, you know, well beaten. No, no, no. I, I said they were well beaten. No, no, they were well beaten. I just think for from Toulouse's perspective, I think they have a bit of there's something about the like they're that team. They're like the United or the Liverpool in the seventies and eighties. They're like they they're that team in France, and you know, for the last you know in in recent times, I think they have a bit of that allure, I suppose, if you like, about about them again, and they're a bit that bit of fear, you know, as evidenced by beating La Rochelle at home this year. You know, that kind of way, I feel like yeah. that was a good thing for them. I think that people fear them in France. Um, I don't think Leinster would fear them. I think Leinster would, would have had a, would have been a better matchup for them, if, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there are a number of thoughts in there on that. I think we still have to congratulate them on a brilliant victory and a brilliant campaign. And it is good to see them back at the very top table because they're a great club. Um, and I'm hoping that that kind of strengthens the Heineken Cup competition going forward. And we see huge kind of French you know, interest in the competition to try and win the thing because we're always worried about them, you know, that, you know, because their competition has a knock or has a, a relegation like the Premiership, that if they don't win the first couple of games, that we just, they send out crappy teams. And the, the, I think it ruins the whole spectacle, if I'm being honest. So that's not what we want to see. We want them sending good teams, you know, to away matches and being really engaged in the competition. I think we'll hopefully achieve that now, having had an all French final. 
Yeah, and also with La Rochelle being in the mix now, I know Gary being the head coach, like he already said, like, you know, he's like Europe is the ultimate. Whereas in France, a lot of clubs would probably prefer to win the Boussellier de Bruneur. But I think we're on Nogara and La Rochelle, we always know he'll be gunning for the Champions Cup. Yeah, Kindus on Toulouse, like, you know, was I being too harsh in my assessment? Like that semi-final second or the sorry, the last 16 second half in Tom Park, they played some unbelievable rugby. I just feel like they didn't have to they didn't really have to play that kind of rugby again for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, like it was a messy tournament when you consider the format was changed and empty stadiums and things like that. I was lucky enough to see Toulouse live twice um, this year, their first game up in Belfast, which I don't know if you remember, it was a horrible, dirty night, but like Colby just scored like two sensational tries. So they played pretty well that night and actually Ulster were, were unlucky as well. So uh, and then obviously the Munster game as well. So yeah, like I agree with Luke. I mean, it's it's very important that you have strong French teams and Will, you're right, like Ron O'Gara has said it, you know, that he's director of rugby next season and that they will keep, you know, Europe in focus. But to be fair, of all the French teams over the years, Toulouse have always, you know, gone gone hard at the Champions Cup, which I guess is why they've won their fifth star now. But I think I'm right in saying Maxine Maydard was the only player who was involved in the previous win. So this is very much a new generation. And my God, they're like, I know they weren't at their, at their best um, at the weekend but god like you look at the talent and like someone like dupont gets all the headlines and he was brilliant again but god i thought entomac was pretty good as well and you know we talked about ohio west and his struggles you compare that to how well entomac played i thought i thought they missed uh, julian marchand actually and um, he's a super player but like toulouse do things the right way and yeah i agree like a, a strong toulouse is is good for is good for European rugby if, uh, despite the fact that that means it's going to be tougher to, to win the Champions Cup going forward. Isn't it such a good base, though, for kind of continuity and for, I think, you know, I th- well, I think to get the best out of your team when you have a halfback pairing like that. Mm. Like, they're going to be a force as long as those guys are around. So we're looking at them being a force for the next five or six years. They'll be in the knockout stages. So it's what they can really put around those two guys, I think. Um, and I'm of the opinion that that's brilliant for for rugby for Heineken Cup because I'm worried. I'm a little bit worried about the competition. I, I do think, you know, there's a lot of a lot of murmurings from from the you from the the English sides and from the um, you know, from the French sides over the last couple of years. And and that's I I just love the competition. So I'd hate to see it yeah. kind of be devalued. And just on the Toulouse uh, kind of base, like they have like the almost the best of of all the worlds. So they have a good academy that produces good young players of their own like i think marchand is through their academy they also are able to attract the best young french talent like they got in dupont they got in i think cyril by the loose head french prop and they also have the income and they're not like beholden to the french national team the way that the provinces are they can get chelsea and colby and jerome kino like so they can all they can pretty much t- take a bit of column a column b and column c and see what they come out with in the end whereas other teams potentially have slightly more restrictions in, in terms of what they can do in terms of building a squad and um, let's move slightly off um, the European final. Interesting today, Keen, CJ Sanders, some news there. Jake White, uh, speaking to a journalist in South Africa, Mark Kyohan, I think his name is, good Irish sounding name. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but uh, had a good interview with Jake White, where Jake White was saying that he got in touch with CJ Sanders. He offered him a place at the Bulls, and that CJ Sanders said that, you know, no, he's moving back to South Africa with his family, and also that, you know, the, the tax break scheme that players can avail of when they retire. Basically, if he played in South Africa, he he wouldn't be able to get that money. So it was, I thought, an interesting insight into his decision-making process because obviously he was on the late late there two weeks ago saying that he felt he could play a bit longer, but he wants to go home and basically he can't play at home. So 
the the end game reading between the lines is that he's going to retire. Yeah, like there, there's no doubt that CJ Standard could could play on. I mean, he's not retiring through injuries. Like, okay, he's got a fair bit of mileage on the clock and like he gets through an awful amount of work. I'd say like he, he's probably the type of guy who does wake up with, with aches and pains. But I mean, it's no surprise to me at all that Jake White has tried to get him to, to play for the Bulls. Like absolutely no surprise whatsoever. Um, it's interesting that Stander obviously brought up that tax break, which I presume would be something Luke would know much more about um, than me. But if that wasn't there, reading between the lines, it sounds like Stander, you know, would like to be able to play on, would like to be able to play back in South Africa because the reason he's going home is to be closer to his family. You know, you mentioned about being on the Late Late Show. I'm sure it's tough. Like his wife and his kid are back home and in South Africa at the moment and have been for the last while. So like, that's not easy. So yeah, it sounded like he would have been tempted to play on in back home if the tax break wasn't there. But Luke, you probably know more about that kind of thing than me. Yeah, mate, that's that's what we were kind of saying is that obviously the tax break was worth more than the contract they were offering him, you know. Um, and and obviously, look, he, he isn't Irish, you know, um, so that was always, you know, he, he's going to go home. Just I don't want any issue with, issues with that, you know, and he's been an unbelievable servant for, for Munster and Ireland in fairness as well. He's been very good. I mean, he's very consistent and uh, he is a workhorse, you know, there's no doubt about that. And definitely, you know, a good guy. I'd probably reserve judgment um, until he's probably finished his career. He'll get the money pretty quick after. So we'll see. We'll see how it all pans out. He hasn't yeah, got it yet. Just doing some, di- like, looking up of the rules earlier. So basically, like, if he plays, if he went back and played for the Bulls, he wouldn't be entitled to this money. However, he could then return to Europe, play again in Europe and retire a second time and then he will be entitled to it but that's quite that's quite a messy process where he could be entitled to a, a decent sum potentially now and wouldn't have to actually play the rugby he he would be entitled to him so you know it's it's an interesting process it just even it's on the revenue website if everyone wants to, anyone wants to look up the the rules around it it's actually quite interesting I'm sure he's got it like not to be in the lines but like it's going to be so handy that he like he's going home in the next few weeks and you know he's going to be based in South Africa like I mean I would not be surprised to see him End up playing for the Lions. This I'd summer. say he'd be the first, be the first back row called up. Given the difficulties potentially on travel and quarantining, I'd say there's a very strong possibility of seeing him playing for the Lions this summer. Um, which actually brings us nicely onto the Lions, Keen. Obviously, they met up today. Interesting one that I saw recently. I know Rory O'Connor, another friend of the show, wrote an article about the potential for the Lions players to be getting vaccines, and it turns out they all got their first dose today. It's an interesting one. Like There was a debate similarly about like whether Olympians should get vaccinated before the Olympic Games and stuff like that. Uh, like what, 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 what do you make of the news? Uh, I'll land that one in your lap. Yeah, thanks. Um, look, I think what you would say is, like when, the, when this was first being discussed a few months ago, I think the country and I think the world was in a very different place in terms of the vaccines. I think what you'd say now is, hopefully pretty much everyone who is in the kind of the high risk category has been vaccinated and now they're working their way through the list. Yeah, it's like, I'm sure there will be so many people who are up in arms that like eight Irish rugby players are after jumping the queue. But to be fair, they are rolling through the vaccines um, in Ireland pretty quickly now. So like everyone is going to get sorted. I mean, Maybe it's easy for me to say because, like, I mean, I'm waiting in that queue. Like, I mean, I presume everyone here on the call 
But yeah, like I'm sure it will leave a sour taste. But like I think when those conversations were happening, we were at a very different stage of the of the pandemic. So look, I mean, we're all going to get it eventually. I do think you know, again, like like just having my rugby hat on. It's going to be so exciting to have, you know, the Lions to look forward to this year. And like, if this helps make it happen, and I would be of the same opinion with the Olympics and things like that. Like we've spoken about this, I think on the podcast before, how the last year has obviously been a year and a half has been incredibly tough for everyone. But geez, like the months without sport were absolutely horrible. Like they were the, the worst when you had nothing to look forward to at the weekend, nothing to get your teeth into, no podcasts. Um, whereas now you know, you have sport back. And I think that like that gives like it's hugely important to society. And I just hope that people kind of recognize that because I'm sure you'll have lots of people who are up in arms about it, too. Yeah, Luke, it is an interesting one. As Keane said, there will, there will be probably a cohort of people who aren't happy with it. I suppose from the Lions perspective, obviously, it's over in the UK where the vaccination is a far more advanced than even in Ireland. So I know like they probably are vaccinating people of the same age as the guys in the team. It's a British and Irish team. So this entity is based in the UK. I don't know. I'm just kind of. Uh, look, the, the, at the same time, there's not many other jobs where you have to get as close to other other people um, for, you know, 80 minutes, you know, <laughs> That you know, it, it's a requirement for the job. There, are, like, if, if people in 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 a in a hospital are high risk, you know, albeit it's still a game, of, it's still a game of rugby and only a game of rugby. But you know, it's still their job, and it's a very short window where they get to do it. I'd say, you know, you need to catch a hold of yourself. They're they're literally have to be in contact with other people on the pitch. You know, for tackles, for rooking, whatever it is, they're going to need a vaccine um to to play it and that they're ahead of, of the rest of us in the queue like can you can each of us say that you know for our for our jobs we have to be in close confines or that or as close as someone on a rugby pitch has to be we we don't we certainly yeah, don't like have a, to a supermarket worker who in, in their 20s could say well, gonna, well do you think they'd be as getting as close as tackling someone no but they're not they're getting tested the players are all getting tested all the time so ideally you shouldn't be in a situation where they do have covid no, but we're always so the same situation. Like the same applies in most businesses where you're, you're getting tested. They're giving you, you know, you're, you're you're asked about how you feel on the way in. It mightn't be as specific as a test, but they are. You're, you know, everyone is supposed to be honest and forth, you know, forthcoming with, you know, if they are having any symptoms. And if they are having any symptoms, they're not supposed to come to work. Just because they're getting a test doesn't change that, in my opinion. I think, you know, there's it's they and most of those people will have, uh, you know, some kind of screen between them. You know when they're when they're giving someone you know when they're in the supermarket or whatever they're doing um they might be coming into contact with more people but they're at a greater distance than say someone who's boxing or someone's that someone that's playing rugby you're like body on body there's no escaping it so i i think you have to take that into account and at the end of the day it is their job so you know it's not like every rugby player in ireland is getting it for you know clontar for black rock or whoever it is it's people who are doing it for their job um, and again the vaccine program is very advanced over in the uk so I think, um, you know, it's pretty normal for people that age. Like all my friends who are living in, in, in London have got um, have got their jobs already. So I don't see why, you know, the, the lads wouldn't be operating in the same environment, particularly when they're playing for a team that's representing both. So I think people moaning about it. People just want to moan about something. Yeah, I, to be fair, I haven't seen anyone moaning today. It was just more so when it was first mooted uh, at the launch, whenever that was, a couple of weeks ago. It was only because like Rory wrote a fairly strong piece. It would actually just be interesting to hear what he thinks about it now that it's actually come to pass. But unfortunately, <laughs> we, we went with Keane this week, so maybe we might get asked Rudder uh, at a different time. One interesting 
Lions talking point just before we finish up, Keen. Uh, Bundy Aki finally returns to action this week for the first time since the announcement was made. The first time since he got that red card, which feels a, a lifetime ago back in the Aviva Stadium against England. Uh, I was interested to see the quotes from Pete Wilkins, the current assistant coach, saying that, you know, Bundy's chomping at the bit in kind of a sense to kind of prove that he kind of he deserves his spot in, in the playing because obviously he hasn't played in so long. And even that England game was the first time he played, I think, in the Six Nations or maybe did he play off the bench once potentially besides that? I don't know if he did. Um, so he hasn't played a lot of rugby to, to, to justify the selection thus far. So maybe he does feel like he needs to put in a big ship before now in the end of the season. Yeah, look, it's, it's proved to be a pretty costly um, suspension just the way it's kind of worked out with, with the games. Like, it's really, really dragged on for him. But, yeah, like, it, he's going to be absolutely chomping at the bit. I'm sure, I think, isn't there talk that Manu Tulagi is back this week as yeah. well for sale, which is, a, is an interesting one because, like, I wonder, like, if, if he comes back and plays well, like, there's no rule to say that the Lions cannot add another player, like, is there? Well, Gatlin, I heard Gatlin asked, would he, could he bring a 38? And he was like, you'd have to ask the financiers. Like, it costs however, you know, 100 whatever grand. But Manny Tulagi's worth it, in my opinion. Yes. Do a whip <laughs> round amongst <laughs> the aliens. Hey, that man. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say there'd be, there'd be a Revolut account set up and they'd be asked, everyone put in a little bit of a donation. I'd go fund me for Manny Tulagi's yeah. lines, place. Absolutely. Well, Bundy Aki is probably the only one who wouldn't be, um, who wouldn't be donating. Because to be fair, he has profited from Manu Tulagi's injury. It, from my reading of it, is that Gatlin is going to be looking to, for Bundy to to play that kind of similar role, and I'm I can't wait to see how he gets on um, in the Lions environment. Like I like I, I think I mentioned when we were doing our emergency pod. I feel like Bundy has been a bit undervalued at times. Um, you think even think back to the 2018 season when. There were centres were dropping like flies and Bundy, I'm pretty sure, was the only one to play all five games in the, the Grand Slam win. Like he he offers a huge amount. And I feel like, you know, Connacht are so up and down and they're so dependent on him. But like if he was playing for a Leinster or if he was playing for a Munster, I wonder would he be, you know, at the forefront of, of more people's minds. Um I said I think do think he does have something to prove, like he's been he's been out for so long, but he is the type of player who can come back and hit the ground running. And God, I think it could be it could be massively beneficial to Ireland and to Connacht if he goes to the on the Lions tour. Because again, we spoke about this. Like he is in a with a very good chance of starting that first test, all things being equal. He could easily be playing 12 with Robbie Henshaw. So I think it could be hugely beneficial if he comes back having been like a test lion. It could be it could really propel him onto even greater heights, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. Even while he's been absent for Connacht, you know, they, this, their centres have really stepped up. Like Sean O'Brien, Connor O'Brien's brother, I think has been really impressive. Tom Daly's had, having the season of his career. But Luke, just to finish up, you know, as Keane mentioned there, it's a big couple of weeks for Bundy. Like the way the centres have been picked, there is an opening there. You know, if Manitou Laggy, say, doesn't get called up. If it's Chris Harris, Elliot Daly, Robbie Hench on Bundy Aki, combination-wise, you could argue Bundy Aki and Robbie Henshaw probably makes the most sense. And they actually generally play very well together. I, I think they're a good match. Um, they were very good for Connacht together, and they've had a few great ones for Ireland as well. So, yeah, look, there's no doubt in his ability. I mean, I think it was a bit of a, a head-scratcher considering he wasn't going to have played until now as well. Um, and as you said at the time, Will, we hadn't even discussed him as a possibility to go, which is probably a poor reflection on us and might actually tie in with what Keen is saying about him not possibly not being at the forefront of people's minds because 
you know, he's playing down in Connacht and maybe out of the public eye a little bit, uh, you know, probably not as glamorous a place to play versus, say, you know, a, a Leinster or a Munster maybe, um, where we're probably discussing those players an awful lot more and you're probably competing for more, comp- you know, for more trophies and such. Um, so, yeah, maybe it is a, a symptom of that. I do think he's he does, he's right to feel the pressure um, because I don't think anyone had thought he was going to go and he hasn't played much rugby. Before even that match, I don't. I'm pretty sure you're right. I don't think he played much rugby before. He didn't that. He didn't feature that much in the Six Nations, and the bit he did feature, and he got a red card. So, I mean, but he did play. He did play very well. To be fair, before the red card, he was very good against England. You still got a yeah, yeah. Sorry, we were we were battering them. He was you know, but he got the red card. So I, look, I think people are always going to forgive him that one. But it's still he's me and Will before you got on this. We're all we were talking about Batia, and I was saying, isn't there like four or five guys in the team you can pick out? who are like susceptible to one of those shots and giving you a red card. Uh, he, he's had a few of them, I think, has he? Funny you should say that, because I remember um, when we were in Japan doing um, the, the, the daily podcast and it was in the build-up to the Samoa game. And I remember saying it to Rod and Jonathan Bradley, who were probably on at the time, um, that like, you know, Bundy was going out playing like lots of his mates against Samoa, like had been out for dinner with one or two of them during the week and stuff. And I was like, God, like I really hope like he keeps like you know his emotions in check, and then he goes out and gets a red card, like you know. So unfortunately, yeah, he he, he what he's I think he's the only Irish bear to ever get sent off twice, is he? Yeah, well, we've only had five red cards, so forty yeah. percent of them I think have been, have yeah. been him. <laughs> but well, yeah, so the point stands, like so. Sorry, he he does have something to prove over the next couple of weeks, then when he gets out on tour. And um, look, I'm actually caught. I like him as a player. I do like him as a player. Like he he's a you know. He does a little bit of what he says in the tin, like he's a great athlete, he's very physical, um, but I think he has a bit more to his game than just that. There's there's no doubt about that. Like he has a few, he's nice hands when he decides to use them. He's not a great playmaker, but he's solid. Um, and I think he is a good team guy. Like he puts in a good shift and he's an excellent defender. He's not just a big hitter in defense. He actually makes a lot of good reads as well. And Robbie and himself are very, they're tough to break down in the middle of those two guys. So um, they could be a very good pairing and I wouldn't be surprised to see them you know, matched up out there. I think he'll like it's one thing you do see on Lions tours. They do try and find a few combinations that do play together more regularly because you know it is hard to bet in the combinations quickly. And if you have a bit of familiarity, it's kind of easier for guys to, I think, change to the game plan of the Lions, but also play together and adapt together because they under- understand each other a bit better. Yeah, I love the I love the the Bundy and Robbie uh, sort of story, like from the Connacht days, and obviously you know they were so crucial in them winning the Pro Twelve, but. I feel like their their journey is going to come full circle after they went and got Robbie Henshaw's stolen laptop back when Bundy Bundy <laughs> Bundy yeah, he wasn't too he was, didn't look too brave that time. <laughs> Bund, Bundy leading the crew down in Galway or wherever it was. So I, I feel like the Robbie and Bundy story is like almost like a, a, a sitcom that's coming full circle in South Africa for the Lions. Oh yeah, Keen. If they get named as the first test partnership, you have to do a feature on that. You know that laptop. Re, you know recovery mission down in. I some, hope. I, I hope he's a bit braver than when he went to go get. That that laptop but he didn't look too happy to be there when they came out yeah. <laughs> i can see well, well i can see the feature now where is the laptop now? <laughs> yeah what, what happened to it <laughs> well what one of the many storylines to look out for over the next few weeks but for the moment luke keen thanks so much for joining me cheers guys cheers lads that's all we have time for this week on the left wing podcast we'll be back next week with another show and in the meantime you can subscribe to us on apple podcast soundcloud or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.